Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Fish. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, being a Thursday, we bring you our Women Feature. And today we focus on promoting the role of women both in society and in the church. And hashtag we are more. All of that is coming up right after a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. This is Archbishop Buti Kakale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Thursday evening, first South African ambassador to the Holy See, remembering Joaquin Navarro vows, and tourism, the key to African growth. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. George Johannes is the first South African ambassador to the Holy See to reside in Rome. He presented his credentials to Pope Francis at the beginning of June and is currently in the throes of setting up an office that he has held since 2009 in Switzerland. Ambassador Johannes has held many prestigious roles, including positions of authority with South Africa's first democratic elected leader, Nelson Mandela. In a conversation with Linda Bodoni from Vatican Radio, he spoke of his five main objectives as ambassador of South Africa to the Holy See and much more. I wouldn't say it's a conversion of St. Paul but certainly political changes have occurred. Everyone has realized that Pope Francis represents something different. It's nothing to do about religion as such, but the personality of the Pope played a very big role. But apart from that, I've always personally believed that we ignore the small states at our peril. And the Vatican is one of the smallest. But apart from that, it's uh, the biggest place of influence globally in terms of the governments and NGOs that it reaches. And you can't ignore uh, the personality of the Pope who leads 1.4 billion people. And that is an important point. But apart from that, Pope Francis is uh, dealing with stuff that we're also dealing with, all the social issues of poverty, eradication, climate change, humanity, migration, human trade, etc., etc. So those are the things that interest us. And I think on that basis, we found a very common basis for collaboration with the Holy See. Pope Francis has sent a video message to the Congress of the Scholars Occurrentes, which concluded on Wednesday in Jerusalem. The Congress focused on the theme between the university and the school, building peace through the culture of encounter. Christopher Wells has more. In his message, Pope Francis encouraged the participants who had come from Israel, the Palestinian territories, and other countries from across the globe. Por eso quiero celebrar estos días vividos allí en Jerusalén. I want to celebrate these days lived out there in Jerusalem, the Pope said, because you yourselves, beginning from your differences, have achieved unity. The Holy Father praised them for seeing one another without prejudice, an attitude, he said, that is essential because it produces an encounter, an encounter which gives our lives meaning and purpose. And it is precisely because our lives have meaning that we feel the need to celebrate. 
Even more, the Pope said, this meaning leads us to a feeling, a sentiment of gratitude. It is this sentiment, the Pope continued, that the scholas has perceived to be of the essence of education, education which opens us to the unknown, which frees us from prejudices that keep us from dreaming and seeking new paths. It's for this reason, he said, that we grown-ups cannot take away from our children and young people the capacity to dream or to play, which is, in a certain sense, a waking dream. Pope Francis said the Congress in Jerusalem teaches us that we have a duty to hear young people and to give them a context of hope so that their dreams might grow and be shared. Shared dreams can produce a utopia to strive after, and the utopia of the scholas is to create a culture of encounter that allows people to arrive not at uniformity but at harmony. And now a quick look at some news from Africa. A new report by the UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, has found that more than 7 million children are crossing borders in West and Central Africa in search of safety or a better life. The report underscores that the vast majority of child migrants are uprooted by violence, poverty and climate change in sub-Saharan Africa. And according to Patrick Rose, UNICEF's crisis communication specialist for West and Central Africa, the region lacks sufficient protection systems both within and across borders to ensure the safety and well-being of refugee and migrant children. What we found was that actually most people in the region are staying in the region, or at least staying in sub-Saharan Africa. If we look at the figures of around 12 million people leaving countries in Western Central Africa every year, more than 75% of them stay in sub-Saharan Africa. And so what we wanted to do with the report was really underline the fact that this sort of wave of migration, this sort of media emphasis on the dangers of the Libyan desert and the dangers of the Mediterranean crossing are only telling a part of the story that actually most people are staying here and most children are staying here. And of course, that's creating a whole series of sort of consequences for the countries within Western Central Africa. These are countries that are absorbing year after year millions of migrants into social safety nets that are sometimes ill-equipped to deal with that number of children. Do you know which countries are taking in the most children? Six of the top 10 countries that are represented within those figures, the source countries are from this part of the world, from Western Central Africa. We also know that there's different sort of routes within Western Central Africa where migrants are going. So it's largely driven by economic opportunities. A lot of people are going to Cote d'Ivoire in order to sort of work in the chocolate and cocoa plantations. A lot of people are going to places like Gabon, which has a sort of economy that's offering different jobs. Uh, there's a lot of people going to places like Equatorial Guinea. There's different hubs within the region. It would be impossible to sort of say all 12 million are going in this direction. Of course, the report is an invitation into some of the complexities that the region faces, but most of all, some of the complexities that UNICEF faces as we try to sort of respond and address the needs of these children and protect them. How old are these children that are on the move? I personally interviewed dozens of the migrants who are on their way to Italy or have come back from Libya. And I spoke to children as young as 10 who have made the attempted journeys. They sort of, you know, stole their parents' money and tried to get on a bus and made it to Mali before their parents found out and came back. I would say that's an outlier in terms of uh, ages of children who are trying to sort of make it to Italy, obviously. The ages are largely more sort of in the upper teens, 16, 17, 18. 
teen and all the way up until young people in their 20s who are sort of seeing this as a an opportunity to break out of a series of factors that is holding them back and, and perhaps not giving them the opportunities they want. But there's also sort of really sort of fascinating cultural dimensions to it. You know, the hierarchical structure in West Africa of, of sons' responsibilities, they see it as an opportunity for them to, in some cases, jump up uh, within that hierarchy. If they're able to provide more for their family than their older brother has, well, then they become more influential than their older brother. And in some cases, more influential even than their father. So for some of these younger people who don't see a path towards prosperity for themselves within the region, uh, for them to sort of take these risks and try to get to Italy offers them a chance to kind of really move up in, in that sort of stature within their family. So what can governments do to help these children? UNICEF has really put forward a, a very coherent agenda for action. Very simple. It's six points. And it really just makes it clear it's a framework for all governments, the international organizations, to really start to think about what are the needs of children on the move and how can we develop and design and implement systems that are going to protect them. When children move, when they're taken away from their families, their schools, the support systems that have protected them, they become more vulnerable no matter what the, the circumstances of their move are, even if it's just moving to a new country to be part of a new job with their father, it still represents a disruption, and that disruption can create vulnerabilities. Now, of course, the extremes are far more extreme, where there's children who are taken out of their sort of comfortable, sort of normal lives and are placed into sort of very dangerous situations indeed. So the protection systems that need to be expanded significantly need to be done in a really considered way and with international cooperation, all moving towards the same goal, which is protecting these children. In a new report from UN trade agency UNCTAD, latest data indicates that tourism in Africa can reduce poverty, although the industry needs to help to resist challenges from conflict, climate change and health emergencies. Tourism in Africa accounts for one in 14 jobs on the continent, with women and young adults playing a key role. International tourist numbers have also more than doubled in the last 20 years to 56 million, while African themselves are driving demand more and more, as UNCTAD economist Junior Davis explains. Tourism in Africa is a growing sector. It's employing around 21 million people. And it's a sector that African countries can really take good advantage of and grow the economy through if they put in place the right kind of policies. In the report, we talk about how African countries can benefit more from intra-regional flows. And what we show, in fact, is that two out of three international tourists within the continent now come from other African states in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, if that potential can be tapped further, then the sector can grow. However, there are impediments to this. Critically, in the report, we talk about peace. If you do not have adequate peace and security, you will find, in general, the sector will struggle. But at the same time, we've shown examples of where tourism can also contribute to peace. For example, Southern Africa, you have cooperative peace parks across different regions within the SADC region, and that encourages cooperation, encourages economic integration, encourages trust and understanding amongst different cultures. But there are challenges. For example, if there's an, uh, an environmental or medical crisis, as we saw with Ebola, even though the impact was located in the west of the country, with only three countries, it had a huge impact 
particularly in countries like South Africa, where tourism is a very important uh, sector. And what is the exact link between tourism and sustainable development? We see it as playing an important role in contributing to the diversification of the economy. The sector has been very, very good at creating employment opportunities both for youths and for women. 36% of women in tourism are running their own businesses or operating within the sector. Around about 50% of 15 to 25-year-olds that enter the sector stay in the sector. So it's important for inclusivity. It allows for gender equality. It creates opportunities for decent work because women are involved in much more secure jobs with decent salaries, pensions, etc. And it allows for investment and growth and opportunities through training which otherwise might not take place. So we see it as important in that sense. When tourism thrives, women thrive. And this is very important for sustainable development. And that is why the inclusive growth opportunities in the sector are so important for Africa in achieving the SDGs. It's very prevalent in rural areas, and it's in rural areas where you find poverty is deepest and employment opportunities are weakest. So it has also a very, very big and important role in helping to achieve SDG 1 on reducing poverty precisely because of where much of the sector is located. And finally, as you've heard in our news bulletin during the day, the former director of the press office of the Holy See, Joaquin Navarro Valls, passed away on Wednesday after a battle with pancreatic cancer. He was 80 years old. Devin Watkins has more. Dr. Navarro Valls accompanied John Paul II on most of his 104 apostolic journeys. He served as director of the Holy See Press Office from 1984 until 2006. He was succeeded in the post by Jesuit Father Federico Lombardi, who spoke to Vatican Radio about the life and legacy of Dr. Navarro Valls. Navarro Valls uh, was a good journalist, but not only. Um, he was also a doctor, and uh, he was a man of the church, as a member of the, of the Opus Dei. He was a, a, a brilliant communicator, and the colleagues, uh, journalists, uh, are very grateful for the way in which he did his uh, service uh, with an uh, extraordinary ability uh, to grasp uh, the center of the news and of the message to communicate. He had also a substantial, a profound relation with uh, Pope John Paul II. And in this sense, uh, his uh, uh, interpretation of the mind of John Paul II was sure, was uh, rich of authority, eh? was not only something that he had heard from others. The experience of uh, uh, Navarro is extraordinary. He was uh, director of the, of the press office of the Holy See for more than 20 years, and then really was a person present to, the, uh, to an entire uh, age of the, of the history of the Church, the extraordinary pontificate of, of John Paul II. When he became the spokesman for John Paul II, Joaquin Navarro Valls was 48 years old and was a correspondent in Rome for the Spanish newspaper ABC. I said, Holy Father, this is a very big responsibility for me. It's a subject that can worry anyone. He told me something that has helped me often in life. You cannot do a job well if, if you only think about responsibility. If you're only thinking about responsibility, then you feel like you're tied up. 
like locked inside that responsibility. It was a very wise advice that has helped me many times, and I have gained a lot during those 22 years working with him. He professionalized and expedited the way of communicating from the Vatican. Thanks to his exceptional harmony with the Pope, he quickly became one of his main collaborators. He had hundreds of stories from those years and was part of the Vatican delegation for the summits on population and women in Cairo and Beijing. He also paved the way for John Paul II's trip to Cuba. I remember the afternoon in which we had already ended the journey. We were at the airport to take the plane. Castro came to say, I appreciate everything you said in this country, even the things that you said with which I could not agree with. It is a very delicate and polite way of saying that naturally he could not have agreed with everything the Pope would have changed. I remember during the last years of his life, when we were in the mountains, especially in the summer, I once took a photograph for some of the newspapers that had asked for it. Parkinson's disease had made John Paul II, who always had an expression and was always smiling, lose his smile, at least externally. Then, remembering that he was very fond of circus clowns, I sometimes put on a fake red clown nose. I would say, Holy Father, he would then look at me and during these moments was when he would laugh. Then I would take a photograph and thus could give the press a photo of the Pope on those occasions. Journalists saw his most human side when his voice cracked while explaining John Paul II's medical situation. It was a silent farewell. There was no need for words. He looked at us in the eyes. Everything was already said. It wasn't necessary to try and say anything. The next day, less than 24 hours later, he died. He was also the face of the Vatican during the vacant Papal See and during the conclave that elected Benedict XVI. For a year he was the spokesman for the new Pope and accompanied him in his first steps and travels. In the wasteland of deep thought during our era, the voice, the word, the conceptual richness of Benedict XVI is filling an era. Although he was Spanish, his city was Rome. It is here he will also be buried, and with him, an important chapter of the history of the Vatican. And that was a brief look at just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Thursday evening. You are listening to Catholic View, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next is our Women Feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful, otherwise you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I am expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. 
Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. This evening we focus on promoting the role of women both in society and in the church. And hashtag we are more. Promoting the role of women both in society and in the church. Besides homilies that look at the role of women in the Bible and in the church, Archbishop Buti Tlachali of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg does as he preaches. As 80% of Johannesburg Chancery's employees are women, and during his tenure as the president of the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference, Archbishop Buti Tlachali appointed Sister Hemenegild Makoro as Secretary General, the first ever female to hold such a position. Let's listen to my conversation with His Grace about promoting the role of women both in society and in the church. Looking at your homilies over the few years, you know, I start to realize that you have somehow changed uh, your tone. You you are now talking more about Our Lady Mary, talking more about women, uh, be it in the church or in the family at home. And I, I think of Pope Francis as well. Since Pope Francis came into the picture, we've been hearing more about the role of women, be it in church or in society as a whole. Now, talk to us about this inspiration. I think it's one of the topics or subjects that we should pay attention to. We still live in a very patriarchal society, patriarchal church, and, 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 and therefore we have a duty to try and promote the role of women, uh, both in society and in the church, and give them more space. And in a sense, if you look at what the ANC has done, they have a policy of trying to aspire for a 50-50 percentage in terms of women being involved in government. And I think we too, as far as we can, I mean, we don't ordain women in the church, but we can certainly give space, make space in our offices, uh, in the various roles we play, Uh, give them enough space so that they too can uh, be leaders in their own right. And I have worked with many in the various sodalities, etc. And you'd be amazed how endowed some of the women are, very strong leaders. And that can only be the advantage of society and of the church if we gave, made space, encouraged women to play a leading role. And, and therefore, we should never lose sight of that. Uh, where there is, where there's a little space, we should make room. We should try and uh, make sure that we don't assume that this is a man's role. It never is really a man's role um, in many of the duties we do. The only one, as I say, in the church where probably we can't do much about it is ordination of women. But apart from that. Women should play a major role. Um, uh, in the past, I've looked at, for example, even, well, let us say in our offices, uh, in our chancery, we have 
I don't know, 80% are women who work in the chancery. Uh, but I think it should also be in positions where they can have an influence on the direction of the church and the, the local church. Um, if you look at uh, here, for example, in the Asdrasen Lady Council, women should play a very strong role play role there. I've also argued in the past that even at Bishop's Conference, fortunately we have a Secretary General who is a woman, uh, but that we should have, even when we create, like now, a lady society, a lady council at conference level, women should be in the forefront. We shouldn't just be dominated by men, but women should be in the forefront. Uh, I think you can look at the church in general. I look at at your um, very difficult thing, but I look at at your the embassies of the Holy See. I look at the different congregations of the Holy See. Women can play far far more effective role than they are doing at present, and so we are still very much uh, in a patriarchal mode or or attitude, and that should change. That should change. So. And that's not going to change overnight, and therefore it is something that we need to revisit uh, as often as we can. Interesting, you mentioned that uh, you've seen a lot of women uh, in government. Yes. And, yes. It brings back to mind that if you look at the South African government, parliament, we have a number of women there. It's something to, to applaud that South Africa is really uh, pushing that forward. We do have a number of women in top positions. I think so. I think, I think they've set a good example. They've set a real good example because they, they have a policy that says we will try our utmost to have 50% of women in whatever sphere, in whatever operations we do. And that's what they are doing in their structures, and uh, which I think is admirable. And, and, and we, too, as church, should look at that and um, take a leave out of it, learn and try and implement the same. As I was saying, that the only area where you probably won't have women would be in ordination. But apart from that, in the running of the church and administration of the church, everywhere we should be able to have women. In the... The, the, the pastoral councils, the various committees that are involved in the church, women should be in the leadership. They are, after all, in the majority, and that should be recognized. Lira Nklandla and Monewa have collaborated with Lux to bring you an anthem inspired by the multifaceted beauty of women. Hashtag we are more. To find out more about this concept, I spoke to Lux brand manager Zola Bebe. We're also very excited as Lux. Um, the brand has been around since 1925. And for over 90 years, we've actually always aimed to deliver beauty to women um, as part of their daily routine. But uh, for us, beauty isn't just about the outside. We've realized that times are changing, and women have become more independent now. They have the power to actually define what beauty means to them. And um, women are now appreciating beauty within, not just beauty on the surface. And as a beauty brand, we've needed to move with our consumers and understand what beauty means to them and then reposition the brand to appreciate um, more than just 
what we can see. You have chosen three fantastic female artists. I must say, fantastic divas. Wait, <laughs> now the choice of this woman um, is this a first for Lux for having a song released? Is this a first? And if so, why these specific three artists? It's definitely a first for Lux. Um, as you know, Lux is a global brand. And uh, with the brand repositioning itself to to more than just you can see, we have localized it internally and partnered with these amazing women, Lira and Santanginza and Manewa. And the reason for doing that is we felt like these people, um, these women embody um, our campaign, We Are More. It's not just about the facade, they are women of substance and they're well known in the music industry. And because they've made a name for themselves in that industry, it doesn't limit them to all the other things because between the three of them, their mothers, their daughters, they are businesswomen, they fashion icons. So they didn't just limit themselves to the one thing they excel in, but um, they've expanded themselves so much more, yet still being able to be the ordinary woman that you come across. So are we going to see more of this type of surprises in the near future? And if so, are you going to get more female artists on board or are you using the same artists? So this is year one of um, We Are More as a campaign and we've had awesome reception from the local uh, people, from the entertainment business, even from everyone really. And we're really excited about it. So there's definitely going to be a continuation of this movement. And um, music is great because I think it breaks all barriers um, across different races, across different cultures, across different age groups. So we basically want to create this movement and it's going to be ongoing, getting people to campaign together, creating a sisterhood for all women to, to create a platform for all women to encourage each other, inspire each other, to express the unseen in them. So uh, we want women to be part of this movement uh, by entering our competition. Uh, by simply buying a Lux bar, you can download the song for free. Uh, whether you want the music video or you want the MP3, uh, you can get it for free by buying a Lux bar using the Ugly code inside the pack and downloading the song. And then also, if you do that, you also stand a chance of winning tickets to a concert that will have in September. That's where the three beautiful icons will be singing the We Are More song, as well as uh, some other songs from their albums. So it's definitely going to be a continuation of the movement. And uh, we're going to be expanding it to next year and maybe even more years to come. Now, this is quite interesting, I must say, Zola. For most of us, we've always seen Lux as a beauty product, you know, something that uh, is out there for beauty and uh, for skin, uh, care, taking care of your skin and so forth. We've never seen it as a brand that would go into music. Talk to us about this concept of music and beauty products, skin products. How does that merge? As much as our core benefit is to, to, to clean the skin, but we, we, we value our, our, our consumers and our, we, the people that we serve. We feel like they are so much more than just um, about the facade. We've always um, encouraged our women to be bold and to, to do step-changing moves in their lives, be it at home, be it in their careers. And so the brand is always due to that. And we believe that the women we serve understand that they're so much more than they look. And so we as a brand need to speak to them in that way. Um, we believe that our women believe, yes, they need to look beautiful, but it's so much more than that. And beauty to them is a, is a, it's a state of mind. They like to feel and look beautiful and enjoy themselves while, while doing that. So we, we need, as a brand, we are, as a, as a brand, we need to be responsible 
and saying, we understand that you're beautiful, but we believe that you're more than just beautiful. You are beauty plus. You are beauty with confidence. You are beauty with talent. You, you, beauty, you are beauty in capers with multidimensional facets that make you who you are. And that's why we as a brand have taken the shift. No, it's beautiful stuff, beautiful concept. And at the same time, I must say, this song com- comes out at a time where South Africa is faced with femicide. Now, was this a coincidence or was it really something that you guys decided, you know what, let's bring this out. Uh, we need some positive energy in the midst of all that's happening uh, concerning women. Look, we, we were actually very surprised by, by the coincidence as well because we had already started working on this journey. And as I said, Lux is a global brand. So this shift is not only applicable in South Africa, but we have localized it internally and made it more about women working with the, our icons from the music industry. So I would somewhat say it's a coincidence, but it just goes to show how Lux responds well with the things that are happening around. We look to our the woman that we serve and respond to them so there's always an interest in how our women are and then that's how the brand will always react so with the things that are happening in south africa i think it's a perfect time for us to land this campaign and just create that movement and a sisterhood inspiring women to stand for what they believe and for for, for us to to make it known that women are not just about the outward look but there's so much more than that and i think it couldn't have come at a better time in south africa zola it's been an awesome pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you so much for this uh, very inspirational chat and it's always good to look at the brighter side of life look at the positive energy the positive beauty that women have to bring to the forefront so thank you so much for your time anything else you'd like to add thank you so much for your time as well like as a brand we're really excited to be launching this campaign and we'd encourage all women to, to really be part of the movement because any change that we really want must start with us and we as a brand have taken the initiative to create this platform wanting women to inspire each other so be it you are a mentor, be it that you're a mother, be it that you're a sister, you must look to the next woman and inspire them and encourage them to express the unseen in them because with women growing up in our time, they need to understand that beauty is not just outward, but it's so much more than we can see. And I think we are now living in a time where women get to do so much more than just be mothers and, and, and daughters or wives. But they need to take on the world and express the unseen in themselves. I think that's what the brand is trying to achieve with this movement. You've been listening to Catholic Views Women Feature. Should you wish to be part of this feature, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Until tomorrow at the same time, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. (laughs) 